0: Turn on your mics.
1: Yeah, I turned mine in. I got it.
0: Are you can do welcome. Good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you've come to join us this morning in worship, whether you're here online this lovely Advent Sunday. If you would stand with us, we're going to begin in some worship this morning.
2: second Sunday of Advent is the season where we we remember and we count down to the fact that we're just saying that the God of heaven, the King of heaven, did indeed come down to be with us, that He would leave the glory, the throne of heaven, He would give up all the glories and He would come and be born humbly as a babe in a manger to be with us to make salvation possible for us. a, A beautiful gift and a it's a great time to remember that gift as we walk through this Advent season together. If you're new or visiting with us, my name is Tim. I'm, I'm the senior pastor here. We're, we're glad that you're here with us this morning as we worship together. A few things to to make you aware of, announcement-wise. One is that today we'll have after the service we'll have Sunday school. So down, children will be downstairs in here. There will be a, a sermon discussion and over. In that library wing, there will be a parenting class. So we invite you to avail yourself of one of those options. And then following the Sunday school hour, we'll have our quarterly congregational meeting here this morning. We share about some of the things that have been going on in the life of the church and some of the things that we have going on uh, in the future looking forward. And so we invite you to come be a part of that meeting as well. In your bulletin this morning, you'll have... You'll see there's, a, there's an envelope in there that says Christmas gift for missionaries, and so that is, at this time of year we want to kind of bless the missionaries our church support in a, a kind of extra way, the way to bless them at Christmas. And so if you want to contribute to that, you can place any gifts in this envelope and then place those in the offering boxes on on the back table or in the offering on the back wall um, on your way out. Those boxes are also where. Regular tithes and offering can go if you want to give what we're doing here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. As we kind of continue in time of worship this morning, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning. Many of us coming from busy life, from different things going on. we, we thank you we prayed you for this opportunity now here in this place to come before you, to quiet our minds, to quiet our hearts, to reflect on all that You've done for us in in sending Your Son, and to remember all that You've accomplished through Your Son. I pray that as we, we celebrate Advent this morning, as we worship this morning, as we hear Your Word this morning, we fellowship together that you use all those things as ways to draw us to yourself, to deepen our love of you, deepen our knowledge of you, deepen our obedience to the life you've called us to live. pray that you would be at work in a, a mighty way in each one of our lives here. We would not take for granted all that you've Done for us at that first Christmas that you do not take for granted the depth of your love for us. That you be magnified, you be glorified by what take place here this morning. And as for those of us here who are, who are walking through, difficult times, whether it's sickness or pain or emotional hurt, pray that you would would use this time, use this Advent season to remind each of us that because Jesus came the first time and died in our place, there is the hope that He will come again and He will set all things right. Would that hope give us perseverance and would it give us strength to endure the challenges that we face now in this life? God, would our heart be drawn toward You this morning? We glorify You in all that take place here this morning.
1: Today marks the second Sunday of Advent, the season in which we prepare our hearts and minds for the birth of Jesus, and remember how the Jews longed for Messiah. In Isaiah 9 we read, For to, for, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. These verses remind us that the Savior is the Prince of Peace. Today, we light the second Advent candle, the candle of peace. candle remind each of us of the Savior who makes peace with God possible for each of us and who will one day rule over the new heavens and new earth as it experiences perfect peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Savior who makes peace with you possible. Help us to look forward with hope to the day when he will return and we will experience perfect peace forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Will you stand as we continue in worship this morning?
2: Praise to you as we come to your word this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. On the morning of of Christmas Eve in, in 2013, there was this customer. Going through a, a Starbucks drive-through, and in a fit of Christmas spirit, they paid for their own drink and also paid for the the drink of the person behind them in line. And that that second person in line, who having their drink paid for, decided they wanted to to pass on the good the good cheer until they paid for the drink of the person behind them. And the the chain of generosity continued on and on and on for customer after customer after customer, paying for the order of the person behind them. And in total, this, this chain of generosity, this kind of pay-it-forward mentality lasted for five days. Nearly 1,500 customers like paying for the person behind them. And finally, around on 6 p.m. on December 28th, right, the Christmas spirit ran out and someone <laughs> decided not to pay. And so that, was, that example is like exceptionally long, but not uncommon to hear stories of these kind of pay-it-forward type chains. Right? This idea of passing on un, an undeserved gift to, to the person behind you in line. Right? And they, they just seem like these great, nice, cheery stories on the surface. Right? But, but sometimes they're not actually as great as they appear. Right? Like for one, like... The people who are in charge of actually taking the order and preparing the order, they, they hate these things. Right? The, the, the workers in the restaurants hate these things. Right? One, one Starbucks employee said, my favorite people are the people who end these horrible pay up forward chains.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> another thing, it can like put people in uncomfortable situations. Right? There's, there's another story of one of these chains taking place and this young man placed an order for a $3 coffee. The person behind them in line had placed an order of, for $46. And so now he's in this awkward position of, I paid $3, well, i to spend $3, and I've got to pay $46 for the person behind me. So he didn't pay it. Right? He's like, I, I can't do it. And he made a video, put it online, explaining the situation. And in that video, it's explaining why he wouldn't pay for the person behind him. He received all kinds of hateful comments from people, saying he should have just sucked it up and... Kept the good thing going. Now, here, here's the point: right? that even these acts of, of giving, free gifts that seem like purely altruistic and good, they can have negative and unforeseen consequences. Right? If, there's like this, if there's this expectation, right? that the gift you give will be paid forward, then it's not really a true gift. A truly a free gift at all, right? If there's an expectation that you'll pass it on, it's not really a free gift. But thankfully, what we see in today's passage is that God's grace toward us is a, a different kind of gift altogether. Our passage today is in 2 Kings 5, and what we see here is that God's gift is truly free. Right? It can't be bought, it can't be sold, and it comes with no strength attached. We also see that it, it's truly good, right? that there's no unintended negative consequences to God's gift of grace. Right? And additionally, like, unlike someone paying for your Starbucks order, which is ultimately a, kind of a trivial extravagance, right? God's gift is far greater because it meets a greater need. Right? No one needs their double shot, whatever, latte, right? But we all need the grace that God gives us altogether, if we put it all together what we see in this passage is that God that's the wrong slide I put I mean that's my fault but uh, God's great so what we sh- should say is God's grace is a free gift that meets great needs often through unexpected means and so let's see that in in today's passage right that God's grace is a free gift meets great needs often through unexpected means and so to see, see that we Read in 2 Kings 5. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Which, I'm going to stop there for one second because this isn't in my notes, but like, so Aram is one of the historical enemies of Israel. They're, they're constantly fighting. They're all at each other's throats. And yet, look at that statement, right? Through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Like, even the victories of, of the enemies of God's people ultimately come from God, right? If you want a picture of God's sovereignty, God's power over world events, right, that's a picture of it right there. Right? That, these are God's enemies. It's only because the Lord gave Naaman victory that they succeeded. God is sovereign over these world events, even when it seems like his side is losing. God is still the one who gives the victory. So Naaman was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, that that you may cure him of his leprosy. But as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him a message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. He would wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Are not Abana and Pharpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? But so he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please, accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mule can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Riman to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Riman, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Armenian, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them, and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the thing from the servants and put them away in his house. He sent the men away, and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the... Time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves or, and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Right, so as we said like, this passage is it's all about God's grace being given as a free gift through unlikely means to an unlikely recipient. And the unlikely recipient is a man named Naaman. Naaman the commander of the entire army of, of Syria. And Syria is like the, the global, regional at least superpower of that time. They're they're strong, they're mighty, and Naaman is the leader of the whole thing. He we're told that he had found great favor in the eyes of the king of Syria because he had been very successful in in battle. And so, so Naaman is it's a man who is com- the commander of like one of the most powerful armies in the world. And he's very good at his job, and he's very popular because of it. I think of like Dwight Eisenhower after leading the D-Day invasion. Like, he's leading the most powerful army on earth, and he... He takes the popularity that he get from that successful campaign, and he he becomes president because of that in fact he's the only president in the last eighty years to serve at least one full four- year term and never sees the approval rating dip below fifty percent So that's, that's the kind of prestige that that name has he's turned military success into favor with the king and he's highly respected in his country he's, he' popular. But he has this one glaring problem. One great need. Right? That is that he's a leper. Most commentators talking about this passage seem to think that like, the condition he has is not what we think of when we think of modern day leprosy. Right? But it's probably some condition that made his skin, as it says, white and flaky like snow. Probably a severe case of something like modern day psoriasis. It's what? Naaman has. But whatever the, whatever the condition was, it was plainly visible to other people, and it was a cause for concern. For a great and important man like, like Naaman, this condition, it must have been a blow to his pride. Like how can, a, how can a great man like me have this skin disorder? How can I go around with my, my skin all this color? It kind of reminds me of, like, President FDR, right, who, even though he was severely crippled by polio, he was confined to a wheelchair most of the time, he he went to great lengths to make sure that he was never photographed or seen by the public in his wheelchair. a little hard to fathom in, like, today's world of 24-hour news coverage and constant political coverage, but, like, most people at that time had no idea the extent of FDR's disability, but why did why did FDR try to hide his disability in the first place? It's because he feared that if people saw him in that condition, they would they would lose respect for his power and authority. And Naaman's in the same spot here. He sees he fears that if if people see him in this state of leprosy, then he will lose his status and his power. And Naaman's willing to go to great lengths, right, to to be healed of this skin disease. His need is, is great. So he has this plan to go and be cured. But there's one kind of glaring problem with name and plan. And that's that he like fundamentally misunderstands how this healing is going to take place. He thinks he can he can buy this healing. He thinks he can pay for it healing and, and by bringing lots of money to Israel and all be taken care of. He doesn't understand that his only hope of being healed is through a gift of grace from an even greater God. He needs a gift of grace from a great God and this gift of grace is going to come through unexpected means. We see kind of two unexpected means of grace in in this story. The first unexpected means is, is the way that God used to tell Naaman about this healing in the first place. Right. In one of Syria's battles with, with Israel, they had captured this young young girl from Israel, and they brought her back to Syria, and she served as a servant to Naaman's wife. And in her capacity as a servant, she, she hears about Naaman's condition, and she boldly tells Naaman's wife that there is a prophet in Israel who could heal Naaman. Right. Remember, Syria... Israel. They're, they're bitter enemies. And yet this slave girl goes to Naaman's wife and he, she tells her about this prophet in Israel who could, who could heal Naaman. And just think about what, what boldness it must have taken for this young girl to speak up. How hard it must have been for this girl to, to go and to suggest the idea knowing her status was so lowly and how much Syria hated Israel. But yet she went and she spoke to Naaman's wife. And her, her boldness should be an example to us. And she, here she is. Like she's living in the enemy's land, a land opposed to Israel, opposed to Israel's God. And yet this girl is so convinced that the God of Israel is the true and living God. She's so convinced that God can heal Naaman that she's willing to risk much to tell others about this God? Do you have that kind of boldness? Are you, are you so convinced that God is who He says He is? Are you so convinced that God is able to do incredible things, that you're willing to risk much to tell others about Him? Are you willing to be bold to tell other people about the true and living God, the way this slave girl was. But it's not only amazing that she had the boldness to tell Naaman about the God. What's even more amazing to me is that she would even want to. This this young girl, she's serving as a slave in the house of a man who's armies invaded her homeland, who, who kidnapped her and took her away from her family and from her home. It was Naaman's army, right, who had raided Israel, who had captured her, who had probably destroyed her town, brought her back into slaves. slave. You Just put yourself in her shoes for a minute. If you were her, right? And even if you knew that there was a way for Naaman to be healed. Would you tell him? Like he kidnapped you. Don't you want to see him suffer? That's where my heart would be, if I'm being honest. Right? Like I don't. I want to see him in pain. Like I would want to see the man responsible for destroying my life suffer. But that's not how this girl responds. She loves her enemy Naaman enough to, to want the best for him, right? to tell him how he can be healed. I Just ask, like, is that how you love your enemy? Do you love the people in your life who, who cause you pain and suffering? Do you love them enough to want the best for them? even though they've hurt you and brought you pain. This is loving one's enemies in absolute action. It's surprising, right, that this this young slave girl would be the means that God would use to extend grace to Naaman, but yet here it is. The second unexpected means that God uses to extend his grace to Naaman in the passages, it's the Jordan River. Naaman first goes to the king, despite the fact that the slave brother, clearly told him, go to, go to Elisha, never said anything about the king, but he goes to the king first, assuming it must be the king who can heal him. But the king says, I can't, I can't help you. But after first going to the king, Elisha hears about it and then summons Naaman to him. You can imagine Naaman, like, getting that summons, right? But hearing that Elisha was calling for him, he's must like, Musta finally, we're, we're getting somewhere. Finally, someone who claims to have the ability to heal me is, is calling me. Like, as long as I, I go there and I offer him enough money and wealth, he will work his wonders and he will heal me. So Naaman sets off from the king's palace to go to Elisha's house and he sets off with his entourage and his wealth. And I just imagine, right, that he, he expects that when he arrives, Elisha will come out and he'll greet him with the respect that he deserves. And then Elisha, then the name will give Elisha all the gold and silver that he brought and then Elisha will heal him in some great and dramatic way. Naaman probably expecting something along the lines of what you see on some of these health and wealth channels, right? Where there'll be some dramatic faith healing experience. Elisha will place his hand on Naaman, and Naaman will fall to the ground. And when he stands back up, he'll find himself healed. Surely that's what Naaman was expecting some, some great act from Elisha. But that's not at all what happens. Instead, when when Naaman arrives at Elisha's house, Elisha can't even be bothered to go out and greet Naaman. Instead, Elisha hears that Naaman, the great, mighty, powerful commander of armies, is at his front door, and he sends out a servant. And through that servant, he tells Naaman, basically, go take a bath. Go take a bath in dirty bath water at that. Right? Go take a bath in the stinky, dirty, stagnant Jordan River. Verses 9 and 10 say, So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean.'" Somewhat understandably, like, Naaman's not a big fan of this advice. He responds this way. Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and he would wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? But he turned and went away in a rage. To be clear, Naaman's not wrong, right? The Jordan is, like, dirty and doesn't seem very appealing. Like, when I went on my trip to Israel a couple years ago, like, watched people be baptized in the Jordan and, like, kind of glad I wasn't one of them. what <laughs> did not seem pleasant. Like, is dirty water and, like, you do you, but that's not for me. Like. And so, like, this advice, right, to, to go wash in this dirty river seven times. Naaman can't understand how this is gonna work, how this is gonna heal him. Right? Surely the rivers in, in Syria are cleaner and better. He could have just done this there and had a better. He's mad, but eventually one of his advisors convinces him to try it. Basically, the advisor comes to him and says, what, what can it really hurt? It's not that hard to go dip yourself in the river seven times. You might as well give it a try. Just On the off chance that it works, just, just try it. And so Naaman does, and it works. He comes out of the water, and according to verse 14, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he... Was clean. Naaman was was healed. And through this healing, we see that God's grace again comes through unexpected means. It comes through this slave girl. It comes through this dirty river. The scene in the path. God's grace both meets great needs and it comes through unexpected means. And finally we see that it comes ultimately as a free gift. When Naaman first hears about a Prophet in Israel. Like he he sets he sets off from Syria with loads of gold and silver and fancy clothing. Like he's looking to buy his healing. Like in verse five, we read that he took with him ten thousand or ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold. That's seven hundred pounds of silver, hundred and twenty-five pounds of gold. Millions of dollars worth, along with ten changes of clothing. I think we can safely assume these ten changes of clothing were not like grabbed off the rack at Target or whatever. These are these are fancy, lavish, extravagant outfits, probably worth more than many people make in a lifetime at that time. Altogether, like name and bringing stuff valued in the millions and millions and millions and. Millions of dollars in today's money, hoping to buy his healing. Naaman wanted vending machine grace. He wanted to put in his money, make his choice, get his healing. God's grace doesn't work that way. God's grace is a free gift that can't be bought. Grace is unmerited favor. By definition, you can't buy it. If you could buy it, then it wouldn't be unmerited. Elisha understands this, which is why he he refuses any kind of payment from Naaman. But Gehazi, Elisha's assistant, failed to grasp this. He's he's so flabbergasted that Elisha wouldn't take payment from Naaman, and so he, he takes it upon himself to chase Naaman down and extract some kind of payment from Naaman. Gehazi chases down Naaman, he will tell some lies about prophets coming to visit and needing silver and clothes, and he, he gets money and clothes from Naaman. In response to this act, Elisha says to Gehazi, is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? No. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. The leprosy that was on Naaman now is on Gehazi. And that may seem like awfully harsh at first. But that's how important it is that we understand that grace is free. Gehazi was was undoing what God had done. God wanted Naaman to know his free grace. But Gehazi was trying to put a price on the goodness of God. God's grace is a free gift. It can't be bought as Naaman learned. It certainly can't be sold as Gehazi had learned. But it also can't be expected as a result of one's cultural background or one's upbringing. In Luke 4, after Jesus had been traveling through Gentile lands and performing many miracles among the Gentiles, he returns to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, and the people there at the synagogue in Nazareth want him to do the same miracles among his own people that he'd been doing among the Gentiles. And Jesus says this. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. The point being, like, your upbringing, your background, your family history, none of those things make you deserving of God's grace. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. God's gift is entirely free. Nor is that more clear than in Ephesians 2, where Paul writes, for if by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. God's grace is a free gift. Can't be earned by doing good works. Can't be purchased. It can only be received by faith in Jesus. You may wonder why, like we would preach, or I would preach from from the story in the Old Testament about a, a Syrian general on like the second Sunday of Advent. Like surely they're something about Jesus you could preach on during Advent season. But this story, a beautiful encapsulation of why the birth of Jesus matters. God's grace meets a great need. Like Naaman had a great need, but he had an even greater need than to be healed from his leprosy. He had the need to be healed of a leprous, sinful heart. Just like Naaman, we have that same need. We all are sinful. We all have a need because our sin has separated us from God. And that, that sin, it makes us of des- deserving of eternal condemnation. And like Despite all our best efforts, there's nothing we can do to heal ourselves. Just like Naaman, they're beyond hope in our own power. It just says, Name God provided Naaman with unexpected means. He provides us with an unexpected means of grace. When he sends his son, the son of God did not come to earth in brilliant glory, but he comes as a baby, born in a manger to, to live among us, to be tempted in every way just as we were. To live a life without sin. And then to go to the cross. To die in our place. To take the penalty that we deserve for our sins. Take that penalty on Himself so that we could be forgiven if we placed our faith and trust in Him. That's an unexpected means of grace that God Himself would come to us to take on flesh. Be born as a baby. No one expected that. That's why so many people missed him throughout Judith's life. That grace comes through unexpected means. Right? It comes ultimately as a free gift. For each of us, all we need to do is, like Naaman, who just needed to go in faith, wash himself in the Jordan River, each of us to receive that gift of grace, all we need to do is in faith, believe that Jesus died in our place. But just as a word for name, and it can be hard for us to, to accept that there is nothing we can do to contribute to our salvation. Right? There's always something, we always default that I want to do something to prove that I am worthy of God's love and care for me. I want to do something to, to earn my way to salvation. I want to do something to contribute to my own salvation. But just as a There was nothing Naaman could do to add to God's gift. There's nothing we can do. Naaman couldn't buy God's grace. And we can't earn God's grace by our good works, by our church attendance, by our morality. We can only accept God's grace as a free gift. Naaman, ultimately, at the end of this story, commit themselves to ask for two cartloads of dirt so that he could bring a piece of Israel with him back to Syria and commit themselves to worshiping only the God of Israel. Naaman had quite literally been at war with God and God's people. But as he received this free gift of grace, he would reconcile to God. He made right with God and committed Himself to worshiping only God. Likewise for us, in our sin, we were at war with God. We were in rebellion against God. We were fighting against Him. But Jesus came to, to make peace possible why we have the second candle of Advent be the candle of peace. He makes peace possible between us and God. And He forgives our sins. That we are no longer God's enemy, but God's beloved children and friends. So as we leave here this morning, as we conclude our time, We continue the next few weeks through the Advent season. Encourage us to not take the peace that Jesus makes possible for granted. Those of us who have been in church for a long time, it's be easy sometimes to go through the motions or to to think again that we have to do something to contribute to our salvation. God's grace is a free gift. And our response, like that of Naaman, should be to commit ourselves to worshiping nothing but the true and living God of Israel. As you leave here today, would would you go with that commitment in your heart? Would you go committed to only worshiping the true and living God. Not false idols, not money or power or influence or any other idol that the world tries to lay before us, but worshiping only the true and living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... the way you show grace to entirely undeserving people. We see it in Naaman, and we see it in our own lives. That while we were still your enemies, Christ died for us, not because we deserved it, but because you are a God of grace and mercy and love. Father, as we walk through this Advent season, as we look forward to Christmas, you work in our heart to cause us to marvel, be astounded at the fact that there was nothing good enough, and you were still your enemy, you sent Jesus. give up the glories of heaven to come be born as a helpless baby in a manger. All because you love us. You desire to show grace towards us and you desire to make peace with you possible. Father, where that truth us like it did in Naaman to worship you and you alone. Cause us to live our lives in a way that bring you honor and glory. Would our good deeds and our moral living not be an attempt to earn your favor, which we see impossible, but would it be in response to the great you've already shown us in Jesus? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. you'd go from here this morning, would you go astounded anew at the great gift that Jesus is and all that he died to make possible. And when you go worshiping the true and living God in all things, you are dismissed.